important because sometimes as the world that we live in declines, it can be very easy to crumble under the pressures of the world and the intimidation of darkness in this world that we live in. And if we're not careful, we'll allow these pressures to uh, slowly kind of back us into corners. And we won't, we won't deny that we're Christians, but we're a lot quieter about it. And we, we're kind of working in the shadows and in the background, but that's not the will of the Lord. That's not how the apostolic church works. We don't hang out in the background and we're not in the back 40 somewhere, but we're out there where God wants us to be right in the middle of things, being who God has called us to be. Amen. That's never, it's never been God's will for us to be somewhere in the background. You look in the Old Testament at Jerusalem, at the Israelites. Where did God put them? He put them right in the center of everything. Every known nation in that day couldn't take a trip without going through Canaan land, without going through the Jews first, because He wants His people to be right in the middle of what's happening. Amen? Because we are the salt and the light. We're the changers, the world changers. And so I would challenge you tonight that while the world is coming out of the closet, the church needs to come out of the corner. While the world is taking their stand, we must also take our stand. We have to create some balance in this world that we live in. We can't be hiding out, but we've got to be a strong voice in the day and age that we live in. God, without question, needs an army. He needs an army of youth. We're talking about youth this week. He needs an army of youth that are not afraid to step out of the corners. Jesus wants to break us out of some of these things and give us strength to stand firm in our faith. Our hiding places are not where we're supposed to be. God wants us to step out of those hiding places in to His perfect will and His purpose that we might make an impression upon the world that we live in today. Amen. I know where we live at. I know I'm not in the Bible Belt tonight. Amen. I know exactly where we are. But folks, we're in a good spot for revival. I think we're in the best spot for revival. Amen. But we can't be intimidated. We cannot be intimidated by alternative lifestyles and counterculturalism and all these various things. We can't let that intimidate us because we got Jesus Christ on our side. Amen. Hallelujah. I was just recently with a great evangelist and I love what he said. He's made an announcement as he was preaching. He said, I'm from the city of grace. I thought, I've never heard of that city. I wonder what city that is. He went on to say, I'm from Las Vegas. Because he's got the right perspective. He said, it's not the city of sin. Because where sin is, what else is there? Grace is there. So he proclaims with his voice, I'm from the city of grace. And while I know things are different in our city, this is God's city. Amen? This is God's city. And these people are God's people. And we are in God's plan. So you and I, we've got to be careful that we don't allow life and emotions and circumstances and situations and pressures and cultures and mindsets to back us into corners and slowly silence us. But we must be diligent that we would break out of the corners of life for our own sake and for the sake of others. You're going to have to forgive me for sharing some dated numbers with you. I'm just going to share them for a point's sake, but they're probably a little dated. And I'm sure you may have heard them before. It's just an example of the condition of our youth culture in the world that we live in today. In two hours of an average church service, 960 teens will injure themselves. They will self-inflict injury. 
In two hours of church, 3,970 high school seniors will drink alcohol. Two hours of church. We're probably going to have two hours of church here tonight. He told me I could preach for two hours, so we might have four hours of church. In two hours of church, 160 will drop out of school. 178 teens will be abused or neglected while we're having church tonight. 120 teens will run away from home while we're having church. 480 teens will get high on prescription drugs while we're having church tonight. Think of that. 97 teen girls will be raped while we're having church tonight. That's heavy, isn't it? That's the condition of our world that we're living in. That's the realities. It's the truth of the day and age that we live in. While we are having church tonight, 120 teen girls will give birth to children. And while we're having church tonight, 720 teens will get an STD. Think about that. That is the condition of the world that we live in right now. And what does that say to me? It says there is no time for you and I who joy freedom and liberty and peace and the wonders of the word of God. There's no time for you and I to be spending our life in a corner somewhere because there's too many young people in your world that needs you to step out of a corner into the light and be an example to them, to be a lifeline to them, to help them because of the true condition of the world that we live in today. There's no time for living in corners and playing games we got to get serious about what we're doing here because there are people and young people that need you and I I just heard I don't know how much theology there is in this but I just heard Sister Mangan Vesta Mangan say this the other day she was talking to somebody and she had been a great influence in their life and she said don't you remember I saved your life and Jesus saved your soul if there's any truth in that that means Jesus needs you and I to get out of the corners and start saving people's lives and while we're saving their lives Jesus is going to save their soul but he needs you and I to get out of the corners and engage in the mission amen let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise and while this youth culture in this world that we live in this pop culture is crumbling and being consumed by the darkness of this world God's word remains the same and it is clear in Psalm 24 and 1 the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world is the Lord's and here's the best part and they that dwell in it you are Jesus you are in the hands of Jesus Christ tonight you are his tonight but not only are you his but everybody out there is also his this is his world and his people i know when we drive around this city they don't look like god's people do they they don't seem like god's people they probably don't talk like god's people but the word of god remains the same they might be in a mess but it doesn't change the word they are god's people and they need you and i I believe this. I believe that you and I are God's claim agents. 
He has chosen you and I to walk around this city, to step out of corners, and to claim and reclaim people for Jesus Christ. When you're driving around and you see people and they're living lives you don't understand and it concerns you, you ought to claim them in the name of Jesus because that's God's people. When you reflect on people that used to be in Christ who are now not with Christ, you've got a responsibility to reclaim them because they are still the Lord's tonight. We are God's claim agents, but we can't claim anybody if we're living in corners. If we're bound in some corners somewhere, we can't fulfill that wonderful purpose of claiming people for Jesus Christ. The Bible is clear. You've probably heard me share it before. Ephesians 3 and 20. Now unto Him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. That's what God can do with your life. And that's what God can do with every life in your high school and in your middle school and in your neighborhood and in the city of Portland and this great metro area. He can do exceeding abundantly above all that we ever ask or think. And the verse goes on to say that He does it according to a power that works in us. He is trying to tell you that while He's looking to do the above all, He's looking to do it through you. He's put things inside of you that He wants to draw out that He will use to change the world that you and I are living in. How wonderful it is to know that we can partner with Jesus Christ to claim people in this city that we live in. It's our calling. So Jesus desires to harness the power that He's placed in you to do the unthinkable in this city. And you and I must remember that we are His vessels. We are not His vault. You are His vessel. You are not His vault. When He chose you, He was looking to flow through you and do something great and something mighty. I'm afraid sometimes, and I'm as guilty as any, that we can kind of forget that reality and we come Christian vaults, apostolic vaults. We come to church and we just consume and consume and consume. And then when church is over, we lock it away and we throw away the key and we go out there and we continue to live in our corners. But that's not the will of the Lord. He called you and I to be vessels that He might flow through you and I. That Not, what, not that we would lock anything away, but things would be loose from our life that He might change the world that we live in. We are His vessels tonight. And He wants to use you. He wants to free you from your corners of life. And then He wants to flow through you to do something magnificent. To do something magnificent in your churches. You are a great strength in your churches, young people. You can change your church based on God's leading and the giftings that He gives you. But we can't do it in corners. We live, I know, in difficult times. But I'm aware while we are built for performance, God handcrafts you and I for performance. We spend a lot of time in corners. Missing out on our potential. And I come tonight to challenge you, to provoke you a little bit, and share the word with you. And I've got a word for you tonight. It's in Psalms 34 and 17. This is for all the people who's been living in corners. Psalms 34 and 17. The righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. 
If you are here tonight and your heart is broken and it's why you're living in corners, I got a verse for you right there. There's a thread of hope, a scarlet thread of hope right there that in the midst of your hurting and your brokenness and that dark corner, you are not there alone. But there is a Savior standing by and He's waiting to bind your wounds and to give you strength and walk with you out of that situation that you are in. He hasn't abandoned you, but He is standing nearby you in your brokenness and in your despair, in your confusion. He is there with you. He hears every cry and He sees your troubles tonight. It goes on to say, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. There's just something about humility. There's just something about God being drawn to a humble heart when there's that contrite spirit there. In verse 19, I like it. It says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. I know we deal with afflictions. I know we're branded because of who we are and what we've been given. But listen, God has not abandoned you. And it's not His will for you to live in a corner somewhere. He's waiting nearby. He wants to give you strength and help you and get you through it. I like the end of it. It said, He keepeth all His bones. Not one of them is broken. I like this promise. This promise says that while we may be overwhelmed with afflictions and struggling to get out of the corner, He's still with us. And when we finally walk out, there won't be one broken bone in our spirit. He's going to come. And when He's done, you won't see that corner on your life anymore. It sounds like those Hebrew boys. They went into Babylon and they tried to deprogram them. They tried to give them new names. But that leadership, that spiritual darkness didn't realize that it wasn't just three Hebrew boys that came into town. That was three boys with revelation of who they were and what they had. And so they stood firm in their faith and they dealt with great afflictions. And the afflictions led them to a corner called a fiery furnace. And when they lit that furnace up, another appeared, right? And I like what the Bible says. Not only did they survive the furnace but it said you couldn't even smell the stench of smoke on them that's what this verse is saying when God gets you out of your corner there's not going to be any remnant left of that corner God's going to completely and totally set you free if you believe it you ought to show God by giving him a hand clap start claiming and reclaiming we're going to have to break out we're going to have to have some very unique very dynamic very unprecedented moments with our savior that there will be a tremendous shaking and stirring deep with inside of ourselves and there will be this tremendous breakout that brings about true transformation and change in our lives the bible says in philippians 1 and 12 this again is paul he says but i would he said i would you should understand brethren that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Listen to that. Here's Paul, and he's reflecting again on all the things that happened to him. And so he's talking about all these afflictions and all these perilous times and all these challenges that he's faced. And his response is, listen, the enemy thought it would destroy me, but it happened absolutely opposite. All this stuff has actually been leveraged to advance the gospel instead of defeating the gospel. And that is the will of the Lord. It's not God's will that all of our afflictions would shut us down and trap us in a corner. 
honor. But it's God's will that you and I would leverage those afflictions to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ and put it in the hands of wounded, hurting young people and individuals in our city. That's the will of the Lord. Listen, sometimes we think, I've said it before, don't let sickness be a bully in your life. Don't let an affliction be a bully in your life. And sometimes we think that what that means is Jesus is going to come and He's going to take that away from us. And now it's not a bully. That's not always what it means. What it means is God will give you the strength to transcend those bullies in your life and be a strong Christian for Jesus Christ. If He chooses not to take it away, He's going to make you strong enough to stand someday like Paul and say, you know what? All that was meant to destroy me. But what it actually did was advance the gospel of Jesus Christ in Portland, Oregon. So this is what I absolutely believe. I say it and I believe it. That this is not just like a maintain week. It's not a survive week. It's not a barely get by week. It's not a decrease week. It's not a withdraw week. But I think this is meant to be a week that's about each of us experiencing an advancement that will enable us to advance His purpose, His gospel, and then have a major impact on young lives in the city of Portland, Oregon. And if you don't believe that, I'm not even sure why you're here tonight. Because that's our purpose as children of God. To make an impact on the place God has put us in. Hallelujah. It's the will of the Lord. Hallelujah. So it's paramount. It's paramount that you and I, that we realize God never designed you and I for some corner somewhere. He did not create you to be dysfunctional. His plan never included you being in some broken state somewhere. That's not His will at all. His plans do not consist of you wandering through the city of Portland for the rest of your life wondering what your purpose is. That's not the will of the Lord. He's got a very clear and defined purpose for you. And that is not His purpose at all. And so He didn't create you create you and I to deal with depression. He didn't create us and save us that we might be manipulated by pop culture. He didn't create us and save us that we might walk around thinking suicidal thoughts. That's not His will. He didn't create you and save you so you live the rest of your life under tremendous stress and pressure and interfere with your work in God's kingdom. That's not the will of the Lord at all. He didn't create you so you'd be possessed. He didn't save you so you'd be possessed with materialism. He didn't do this for that purpose. He didn't do it so you would be addicted to pornography all your teen years. That was not His purpose at all. This is not the purpose and the will of God for your life. It is not His intentions that you be separated from Him. He loves you. He's on standby waiting to redeem you and to recover you and to set you free from the things that have put you in a corner. I'll tell you what though, that is the world's design for you. It's the world's design, but it is not our Lord's design. His design is for you and I to break out. His design is for you and I to be unstoppable. That is His design for you and I. And I'll tell you, it's not just His design, but He's equipped you and I for this, folks. He has prepared us. He is working things inside of us to help us that we might become that unstoppable force inside of our city and inside of our churches and our communities. This is what I believe. If you want it, this is our appointed time 
to defeat some corners and really live free like never before. This is it. So let's talk about that. There's a character in the Bible. You're going to know him well. Gideon was in a corner until he had a breakout moment. The Bible says in Judges 6 and 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. It was his moment. The angel was speaking to him, trying to get his attention, speak something into his life and set him on a different course, get him out of a corner that he was in, along with all the children of Israel who was also in the same corner. It was a breakout moment. And the angel says, Hey, you're a mighty man of valor. That shook Gideon a little bit, didn't it? He didn't believe the angel. Gideon is a fascinating character in the Bible. He was appointed to be the sixth judge of Israel. According to Hebrews 11 and 32, Gideon was listed as one of the heroes of Israel, heroes of the faith. And in Judges chapter 6 through 8, he proves worthy of hero status when he breaks out of the corner. He proved worthy of being called a mighty man of valor. Took him a little time to get there. We're going to talk about that. But he proved worthy to get there and be that mighty man of valor that that angel said that he was. The children of God at this point in time, they were oppressed by Midianites. Man, they were living in the corners, folks. They had Amalekites pushing them in the corners, Midianites. All kind of ites were pushing them in corners. Probably insectites and tribulites. I don't know. There's ites everywhere. Pushing them in the corners, folks. So you can see I'm very theological. And the Bible says this angel of God appears before Gideon as he's threshing wheat at that wine press. And the angel of the Lord looks into the eyes of Gideon and says, you're a mighty man of valor. And starts to set something in motion. Set redemption in motion for the children of Israel. And set that, that truth into motion. And starts to fashion a man who's threshing some wheat into a mighty man of valor who's no longer living in corners. And so the children of God, did, they, they did evil in the sight of the Lord according to Judges 6 and 1. The sin in their lives had separated them from the blessings of God, the protection of God, and they were completely oppressed. They needed to get out of their corner terribly. They needed a breakout terribly bad. For at least seven years or more, they had been under all kind of oppression and bondage, and they were now a mess, and they needed something to set them free from the corner that they lived in. they were living in. And by looking at Gideon in that corner tonight, we can learn a few things. We can realize a few things about breaking out. Here's the first thing I'll tell you. We will never break out if we are listening to many voices instead of God's voice. It's impossible. The Bible says in Judges 6 and 10, And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. And here's your problem. But ye have not obeyed my voice. That's why they were in oppression and bondage. They were listening to all the wrong voices. They had a history and precedence of listening to the wrong voices. You and I have got to learn that early on. If you're going to listen to all the wrong voices, you will live your life in corners and you will miss out on your potential in Jesus Christ. And so you got to learn that lesson early on. You've got to shut off voices that are not voices of God so that you might not live in corners. 
Now I get it. I know there are many voices competing for your ears, but you're going to have to get some discipline and say, I'm not going to allow any more voices in my ear that is not of God. If it's not my pastor, if it's not my youth minister, if it's not my godly parents, if it's not some spiritual godly voice or the Word of God or God Himself, I'm not listening to it anymore because I'm not going to live in any more corners. I'm ready to break out. And so I'm going to shut them off. And that is the challenge. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what your age is. We all can get caught up in voices. There are so many sounds today. There's so much noise in this world. And it becomes very hard to hear the right voice. But we got to be diligent about it, whatever it might take. I'm not going to say you should do this. But I've got an evangelist friend. And he said God spoke to him one day while he was driving down the road. Now this man, is he's a musical guy. He, his wife plays instruments. They sing. I have no one of that talent at all. So this wouldn't be too hard for for me, but music's always playing. They're always involved in that when they're traveling and evangelizing. And God spoke to him and said, you need to turn that stuff off so you can start to learn to hear my voice. And he told me, he said, for eight years, God wouldn't let me listen to anything so I could learn to hear his voice. And I'm not against any of that Christian music. It's God, it's godly. But don't let that interfere with hearing from the Lord because we're constantly bombarding our minds and our ears with noises and sounds. And if we don't have some balance to where we open our ears up to Jesus Christ, yes, we will be in corners the rest of our life and our world will not be changed the way God wants them to be changed. So you have to make a commitment to yourself and to the Lord that you will know longer listen to any voice that will not lead you into God's perfect will and purpose for your life. It was easier to clap about the other stuff, wasn't it? I don't mind it. I don't need claps. That's the truth, though. We want breakouts. Now, here's here's what happens. We want God to break us out. We want to be the greatest evangelist on planet Earth and in the galaxy. But we want God to do it all overnight and we don't want to change at all. And the moment the preacher says, you're going to have to make a decision and turn some things off, everybody gets quiet. I don't mind being honest because i got to fly out of here on Saturday. So I'm going to be straight with you tonight. Because I said I didn't come to preach. I said I came to talk and minister here. And that's the truth of it. Listen, if we want to be who God's calling us to be, it's going to require work and effort on our part. It's going to require some discipline. And we're going to have to make some decisions and back up what we're saying. Is that okay? And so listen, you cannot let voices in that are not of the Lord. If you want to be free, if you want to get out of corners, learn to hear the Lord. Take time to hear the Lord and shut anything out that is not of Him. The Bible also said, and I think this is important as we work to get out of the corners that we deal with in our life, we must remember this. God views us differently than we often view ourselves. That's a good thing most of the time. Yes, it is. In Judges 6, 12 through 16, I'm not going to read all of them, just a little so you see it. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, we already read this, and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thy mighty man of valor. And the Lord looked upon him and said, this is verse 14, looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? In verse 15, And he said unto him, Oh, my Lord. Wherewith shall I save Israel? He's, he's responding. 
Oh, my Lord, what you doing? There's no way I'm going to save Israel. Don't you know who I am? Let me tell you, since you know you don't know because you're just an all-knowing God. Let me tell you what you don't know, God. My family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. I am the bottom of the bottom of the barrel. That is me. I'm not the right guy. Your GPS was off, angel. You came to the wrong threshing floor, the wrong area, because that's not me. Because this is often how we see ourselves because we let the world convince us of some of these things. And most of the time, if we're not careful, and I'm guilty of this, I carry the same perspective Gideon has. I sit around missing out on God's will and purpose because I'm molly grubbing around thinking I am not willing, or I'm not willing, but not able or not capable, or I don't have the right last name, or there weren't pastors in my family, or we don't have no money, we don't da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I, I sing the same beautiful song that Gideon was singing. And God's standing there trying to get into my thick skull. You're a mighty man of valor. Oh, no, 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 no. Let me help you, Jesus. That's not me. I'm the bottom of the barrel. I'm not a mighty man of valor. So he's trying to correct the angel. And then 16, And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites, as one man. He's trying to teach him something. He says, surely I will be with thee. This is how I interpret that. It's not about you. Me. His response was not, I'm going to prove to you by talking to you about your lineage that you are a mighty man of valor. He didn't say that. He responded with, I'm going to be with you. It's going to work out. Because at the end of the day, it's not about you. It's about me and my purpose and my plan. And you just obeying and not giving me commentary on everything. That's ultimately what it's about. Amen. Help us, Jesus. And so you and I, we may be like Gideon and we may hold on to a very low opinion of ourselves. But you and I must remember how God views us. And when He looks at you, He sees a mighty man of valor and a mighty woman of valor. He sees your potential and He sees what He's going to do with your life. So don't trust in your own impression of yourself. Trust in the impression that He has in you that He's willing to express to you. Because that's where we've got to find our confidence. Listen, at the end of the day, we cannot make the mistake of building our confidence in ourselves. Because that will not last. At the end of the day, our confidence must be in Him. And so we must remember it's not about us. I'll tell you what I have to do most of the time. I just have to get out of the way most of the time. I have to get out of the way most of the time and just let Him do what He wants to do and give Him the glory when He does it because there's no way I could have done that myself. And so here we are. We've got to be careful that we don't beat ourselves into a corner with some impression of ourselves that doesn't match our Creator's impression of us, which says, you are great. You are mighty. I've great, got great purpose for you, and I'm going to do something mighty through your life. 
Here's the reality, folks. While we may not like what we see in the mirror, and while what we see in the mirror, yes, could never overcome this world, it could not save this world, but if you would understand that when you are in alignment with Jesus Christ, you are not what you see in the mirror anymore. You are Jesus Christ. And you are being changed, and now everything is open to you and what God wants to do through your life. The Bible says, and I think this is important to us. This may come up again tomorrow night in 2 Corinthians 10 and 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So here we are. We're learning. We're not fighting against each other. This is a, a mighty spiritual battle, right? And so he says, we've got these weapons and they're strong and pulling down strongholds. And so where do you think the next verse is going to talk about? Is it going to talk about Satan? Is it going to talk about demons? Is it going to talk about dominion? Because we're, you know, we're pulling down strongholds, right? So, we've got to talk about strongholds. What do you think it's going to be? Bible quizzers cannot answer that question. The next verse says, you see it? Casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God... And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Interesting. So it talks about pulling down strongholds. And then it talks about our mind. Because the greatest battle we have is between our ears. It's right there. Between the ears. And so he says, hey, this is not a battle of flesh and blood. And we're mighty to pulling down strongholds. And then he goes to your brain. And he highlights the fact that what we need to do if we're going to be who we're supposed to be is we need to take some things into captivity. We need to cast some imaginations down. Anything that's taking a little trip through our mind that is against what we know about God needs to be kicked out of our mind that we might be who he wants us to be. And then it says we need to bring everything into captivity that is not in obedience to Christ. And so I think this is a very important thing. In order to have the mind of Christ, we got to get this down. We've got to master this this discipline, if you will, of dealing with our own minds and getting into a habit of casting out imaginations and thoughts that did not originate with us, but that are against what we know about God, and that includes thoughts about ourselves. Because if you're thinking that you have no worth, that is not what God has to say about you, and that would be against what you know about God. If you're thinking your life will never amount to anything, that doesn't match God's thoughts about your life. So you need to cast those imaginations out so that you might be who he wants you to be. And so this is, a, this is an effort, this is a discipline we need to build into our life where we work to take control as much as we can of our mind. And every time something comes trotting through, we say, nope, you're not allowed there anymore because that's not what God thinks about me. I'm going to stay focused on what he thinks about me. And he says, I'm a mighty man and woman of valor. How do we do that? That sounds easy, but it's really not, right? How do we do this? How do we step away from human reasoning and the strength of our own mind at times? I think it goes back to what I said earlier. we got to remember this whole breaking out of corner things doesn't occur in our own strength, but it occurs in His strength and in His might and in His power. And so we got to remember, it's not us. It is Him. And that's why we cast those imaginations out. And we fill that mind with the Word of the Lord. And everything that is of God. Because that's what will allow us to be living this life as mighty men and women of valor. The Bible says in Luke 18, 27. And He said, the things which are impossible with man are 
possible with God. That's why this can happen. You may be looking at your situation tonight. You might be looking at your corner and you're thinking, there is no way I'm getting out of this corner. You know what? That's the absolute truth. You try to get out of it on your own, you ain't getting out. But if you will get a hold of the mind of Jesus Christ and you will become in alignment with Him, everything will start to change. And in His strength and in His power, you will walk out of your situation and your corner and you will be who God wants you to be. So we got to remember that it's not about me, but it's about Him. And I can't be trapped in my own thoughts and imaginations that are not according to his word and his thoughts for our life. So listen, don't allow your feelings to drive you into isolation. You need to remember your feelings will lie to you. You need to remember that feelings are very unfaithful. Very unfaithful. There are a lot of people that don't go to prayer because they didn't feel like it. That's not faithful feelings right there, folks. So feelings can be a a little unstable at times. And so you cannot allow your feelings and your emotions to control your mind and your life. Because if you do, you're going to enjoy corners the rest of your life. But if you take control over that, you allow faith to rise up in you. You get a hold of some of that mind discipline. You work with the strength God gives you. Things can change in your life. And I want you to know this. You may think you are nobody. You may think you're standing alone. But it's not true. There is a Lord of hosts standing with you. I already read a verse that said that. You've got a Lord of hosts standing with you. There are angels that have been dispatched to care for you and to protect you. It's in the Bible and it says it specifically. You are not alone. You've got a church family that is standing with you. You are not alone. You are of great value and Jesus has big plans for your life. Don't you remember the prophet and his servant? You remember the servant? The prophet and the servant are in the house and they're chilling. They're listening to gospel music and drinking sweet tea. And the servant goes out on the front porch and he sees a mighty enemy out there, right? And we're surrounded by the enemy. And and so all of a sudden he realizes, whoa, we're in a corner. This is bad. There's no way out of this. So he runs in and he talks to the prophet, says, we're surrounded. We're, We're in trouble. We may want to put up the white flag. I don't know exactly how he said it. I wasn't there. And then he says, no, 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 you go back and look again. So he goes and looks again, and he sees all the troubles and all the obstacles and all the hardships and everything that's, that's coming against him in the moment. He comes back, no, I don't, I, I, it's just us. There's nobody else out there. He says, no, 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 you go look again. And eventually he goes, and he, his eyes are opened. And he sees beyond the natural, beyond the feeling. And all of a sudden he sees a mighty army that has surrounded the troubles and the enemies. And he realizes, hey, we're not alone after all. Listen, I am confident the same is with you. You are God's servant. And while you may see a lot of obstacles and the odds may be against you, you are not alone. Don't let yourself be convinced of that. There's a mighty host that's with you that has surrounded you and will give you strength to do what God God is asking you to do. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise for a moment. Hallelujah. Help us, Jesus. A couple more quick thoughts regarding this. Listen, sometimes we sit around and we really build up the enemy. We make that corner twice as big as what it really is. 
And we build these things up and we sit around and we, we convince ourselves mentally to just throw in the towel on life and throw in the towel on our calling and throw in the towel on all the promises God's given us because we, we just every day we, we allow our minds to make the enemy and our circumstances bigger and bigger and bigger and we think there's no way out. And while we're doing that, the enemy's on the other side and they're afraid of you. The Bible says that Gideon was, he was concerned. I mean, this is 180,000 people. And by the time it's all said and done, God narrows his army down to 300. So we got 300 against 180,000. Those are good odds. God's funny about odds, isn't he? And that's what we're narrowed to. So Gideon's like, maybe we need to go and check out their camp and see what's happening down there. Because, you know, this is not looking good for us. And so they're looking at 180,000 strong. And if they're not careful, they're talking themselves out of this moment. Because that, that's a mighty army, and there's only 300 of us. And our plan is not very strategic. There's no weapons involved. And so they send some people down. They go down, right? And they get down there, and they hear them talking. And in the camp, this mighty army's afraid. Because God has already deposited a message in the camp that uh, they're going to lose. And this is what happens to us. We are in our corners, and we make those corners so big, and we build up the enemy and make him so big. And what we don't realize is he's on the other side of that corner thinking, if, I, if they ever get out of here, I am in trouble. And there's no way I'm going to hold them down if they make a decision to walk out of this situation. Because God's already told the enemy, he doesn't win, you win. You are the winner in the scenario. You just got to get that in your brain and in your spirit and realize you are the winner in the situation. And the enemy knows that. That's why he works so hard on you. Because he's afraid of you. He doesn't work hard on you because he knows you don't have what it takes. He works hard on you because he is afraid of you. And he knows if you get bold and you step out of that corner, he ain't got a chance anymore. And so he tries to intimidate you. But we need to stand firm in the faith that God has given us and realize we are greater than the enemy. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And the Bible says just one of you could put a thousand to flight, and two of you could put ten thousand to flight. I think you've got a lot of value and worth and could make a difference in the world when you think about that. Do you realize with the crowd we have here tonight, we could send every demon in the city of Portland out of the city of Portland if those odds remain the same? And you want to know what we have to do? We just got to come to that realization of who we are in Jesus Christ and begin to engage in His purpose and step out of the corners. Hallelujah. Help us, Jesus. Hallelujah. So we got to be careful. We got to work on our mind. We got to ask God to help us with that mind. We got to work to trust His impression of us more than we trust our own impression of us and just get out of the way and let Him do some things with our life. You got to find some strength in your efforts to get out of the corner. You need to find some strength in knowing that God can make big things out of your nothingness. 
God works well with nothingness, folks. You realize this majestic, mighty, mind-boggling earth started with very little. It's a spoken word most of the time. God can do great things with your life. So what if you have nothing of value? It doesn't matter because you serve a mighty God. And when He gets a hold of your life, He can make something big out of nothing if you just trust Him and put yourself in His hands. Can do mighty things with your life. We just have to let him. Hallelujah. We have to remember that. I think, I believe this. There's more to you than you think. And there's more with you than you think. And you just need to trust the Lord. And let him do something mighty. And let him lead you and guide you couple more things to consider before we close. Before God can do the miracles in your life and lead you to some places, you may have to tear down some stuff that has been established in your life by other people. If you read that a little bit and you study it in Judges 6 and 25, God gives Gideon instructions to go tear down those altars of worship to Baal and bullocks and all kind of stuff. And he is, he, before they ever, ever get out of that corner, he has to tear some stuff down. It wasn't even stuff he built up, but it was stuff that was present that was not God's will. And sometimes in our lives, there are things that have been built up in our life, and we may not have built it, but it is there. And before we can really walk out of the corner, we have to take the strength God gives us, and we need to tear those things down so we will have everything we need to move forward. And I don't know what that is for you, but I know this. If there are things that are rising up in your life that are not of God, then that has to be torn down, and it's your responsibility to tear that down. And if you are willing to do your part and tear it down, God will do His part, and He'll lead you into some mighty things. But we have to, again make a decision that we're going to tear some things down. And listen, I know you may be able to say, well, I know it's there pastor, but I didn't build it. It was there because somebody else put it there. Okay, that's fine. We're not condemning you for whatever is there. We're just saying God has given you the opportunity to tear it down. And if you will do it, not only will it benefit you, but it'll benefit everybody. Because after they tore down that altar, God set all of them free from the corner, not just one of them free from the corner. Listen, you may have some things that has risen up in your youth group and you didn't build them. You didn't invite them into your youth group, but they are there. Well, God may give you the responsibility to tear those things down. He may give you the calling and the direction and the support that you need from your leadership to tear those things down and you're going to have to take responsibility to do it. And if we will do these things, God can do something. In addition to that, in addition to this responsibility of tearing some things out of our life that should not be there and then gaining that strength that we need, there is other things. I'll also say this, you may have to let God flesh some things out of your life that should not be there. If you read in Judges 7, 2 through 5, that's what he does. Gideon starts to build this great army, right? You have to forgive me, I'm getting old. I don't even remember all the numbers. I can remember there was 10,000. I think there was more than that. At some point, there's 10,000, though. And Jesus, God narrows it to 300, right? Why would he do that? 
That doesn't make sense. Why would he do that, right? Does anybody remember with how many men he started with? 22,000, right? Say that again. 32,000. Thank you, sir. President, thank you. 32,000. Hey, that's, that's good, right? And then God says, no, you got too many people. I'm going to flesh some of them out. And he slowly narrows it. He slowly removes people until he narrows it to 300. And sometimes God will do that with our life. He'll start fleshing some things out. I know you, you think that's good, but no, no, not, what I, not with what I'm going to do. Because you see, when I get done, I need to have all the glory. So I'm going to get some stuff. I'm going to move some stuff out of your life. So that when, when this happens and you walk out of the corner, everybody's going to know, I got you out of the corner. And so we have to be sensitive because God will tell us what we need and he will tell us what we don't need to get out of the corner. And so we listen to his voice. And when he says, no, you you get rid of about 10,000 of those components, those things in your life. When he starts fleshing it out, just listen to him. Just do what he says and follow the leading of his spirit and his voice because it's his process of getting you out of the corner. And he's going to come, he's going to ask for things and you're not going to want to let him go. And you may be able to form a great argument to why what I have is not a biblical issue. And what I have is not bad. It's this component, this item that God is asking me for. It's not a sin. It's not any of those things. Why would God ask me? Does it really matter? If he's asking you, he's trying to flesh something out of your life so he can take you to some special, unique places. And so you say, listen, where I'm going is more important than where I am right now. I will let that go so I can go where Jesus wants me to go and so we become aware of that young people it's a part of your maturity to just say look Jesus knocked on my door last Sunday and said he was ready to remove that out of my life and so I said yes Lord because you're taking me to some places and I'm willing to go there and that's more important to me than anything else and so there's this responsibility for you and I one of that one piece of the responsibility is that you and I tear some things down ourselves. God says nope you go deal with that we go deal with those things the other is God comes along and then he says, no, I want that and I want that. It's not a tearing down, it's a releasing. You release it. You open your hands and you release that. And this act, this moment will help you in breaking out of the corners that you are in. Amen? This is what we do. And this is what Gideon done. It was a part of his process. And the last point that I would make to you tonight is this. In order to break out of the corners that we sometimes deal with, we may have to do something that does not make sense at all. It was already bad enough that he would go from 32,000 to 300, right? So then when it comes time for Jesus, for God, for our Savior to issue the battle plan, he says, okay, guys, uh, put all your weapons down. I need to go find all the trumpets. And we need you to go get some pictures and put some light inside of the pictures. And then we're ready to march. How would you feel if you were part of that 300? You'd be thinking, Gideon has lost his mind. There's no way we're beating 180,000 with some pitchers with a light in it and trumpets. Now, the way I play trumpet, we might have defeated some. We probably could have taken some out. But normally, this is not a good battle strategy. I'm pretty sure in the history of war in the United States, that's probably never been one of our strategies. Guys, we're sending you to the front line with trumpets and lanterns. 
Because sometimes when God is getting ready to do a miracle, he will ask us to do things that are not logical to our human mind. But if they are according to the word of God, if spiritual voices in our life says yes, then we obey despite whether we understand or not because we know God's will is the perfect strategy and the perfect will. And so we do exactly what he says. So what did the 300 do? They said, well, this don't make much sense, but let's go ahead and do it. And they go up there and they divide and they surround this 180,000. And when the signal's given, they blow their trumpets, all 300 of them. And that causes all the army to go into panic mode and they start kind of going bonkers. You want to know why? Because the army didn't think there was 300 men there. They thought there was 300 companies of men there. That's what the trumpet would mean. The trumpet's not used to march one person into battle. The trumpet's used to charge a company into battle. So in their human minds, they're going, what? There's 300 companies up here. And so this panic ensues in their life and in the situation. They just start going they kind of go bonkers don't they and they start killing each other and then so they hit the pitchers and the pitchers were concealing the torch and the light and it was a part of that move move of tricking them or or deceiving them if you will and so they break the pitchers and then the bright light shines and they're swinging the torch and it adds to the moment and they end up fleeing or killing each other doesn't seem like the best strategy but it worked didn't it Listen, sometimes when God's bringing us out of the corner, we need to make some noise. We need to make some noise. We need to get a trumpet. We need to get a worship trumpet. And we need to make some noise when we're in that corner over there. And we need to tell the devil that, no, 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 I used to think I was by myself, but I'm actually not by myself. There's at least several hundred companies, a host of angels that are with me. I'm not by myself anymore, and I'm going to make some noise. I'm going to give you, I'm going to serve you notice that I'm about to come out of my corner and my notice is worship and it's praise. And it's not going to be normal worship and praise. It's going to be radical worship and praise because I'm looking to make some noise and make a statement that something's about to change in my life. Sometimes when God's ready to get us out of the corner, He's going to come to you and say, you know what? You need to change your prayer life a little bit. You need to make a little noise with your prayer life. You need to elevate your prayer life a little bit and that's going to help get you out of that corner and so we engage in a new elevation or new level of prayer you know in the book of Acts it said they prayed until the place shook and then they were all filled with the Holy Ghost I'd like for that to happen in my life sometime but that's great prayer that's a trumpet prayer right there that shakes things and makes a noise listen if you want to get out of the corner you're going to have to pray a little bit you're going to have to make some noise with your prayer you're going to have to get serious about your prayer you're going to have to reconsider your devotion to some things and let your devotion to God be a trumpet and make a loud sound to the enemy and say no matter what affliction I go through I shall be faithful to Jesus Christ my devotion to worship my devotion to prayer my devotion to the church will not change but they will become a trumpet in my situation and then what will happen is if you
begin to do these things, God will start a work inside of you. These actions, these activities, these godly things, worship, prayer, devotion to the kingdom of God, giving of yourself in the worst of times, these things will lead you to a place of brokenness. Because you know what? Tonight you are the pitcher. You are the vessel. And there happens to be a light inside of you. And when God can take you to a place of brokenness and that pitcher breaks, that light will shine brilliantly in the world that we live in. But the light won't shine unless you are broken. Unless you let the trumpet take you to a place of brokenness where the light can now shine and something brilliant can happen. Let's worship the Lord for a moment. Hallelujah. You can come to the music. We have to be willing to do the unexpected sometimes. Knowing that something mighty is going to happen. And so if God's been talking to you about some things and don't seem too logical, well, maybe it's still God's will. Jesus comes to town and he's ready to set Lazarus free from the grave. Right? Martha and Mary's really confused. Because it didn't go like Jesus said it would go. They sent Jesus a message and said, Lazarus is sick. Jesus sent a message back and he said, it's not unto death. And then Lazarus died. That's confusing. Right? So they're dealing with confusion. They're dealing with grief. Now Jesus said that Lazarus wasn't going to die. Now Lazarus is dead. And then when Jesus comes to town and Martha meets Jesus... Martha, she, she expresses some faith and she's, she's expressing her grief and her concern. And Jesus actually says to Martha, you know, Martha, it was good for you guys that I wasn't here. How's it good for me that you weren't here? You're the one that could have healed the sick. And Jesus says, it's good for you that I wasn't here because this is going to build your faith. This is going to grow you, Right? Then he says, oh, Martha, if you just will believe, you're going to see the glory. So then, and then, so Mary eventually comes and joins them, and they go toward the tomb, and some things happen, and Jesus wept. That's everybody's favorite verse. That makes everybody in the world a Christian, because they can quote, Jesus wept. Jesus weeps. There's a lot of reasons why Jesus weeps, but Jesus weeps, and he shows us that he is emotional. But he also shows us that emotions should not shut us down. Because he weeps and he has this moment of emotion and then he goes on. And so he gets there and he says, Martha, I want you to go move the stone. And Martha says, Jesus, let me explain to you. He's been in there for four days, he stinks. Do you think that our all-knowing God in Christ needed Martha to tell him that Lazarus was stinking? Don't we do that sometimes? You know, things haven't been going well, and we've been in a corner for a long time. And Jesus shows up, tells us to do something that doesn't make sense, and we take it upon ourselves to explain to the all-knowing God why it's not a good idea. That's how smart we are. We are A students. I am, I know. If that's prerequisite for A student, I'm an A student. A plus. 
And so, and then Jesus basically kind of responds. And, and basically, he doesn't need any commentary from her. He just needs her to trust and obey and do what he was asking. And then, right, she goes and she moves the stone. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. You want to know why he did it that way? You want to know why he said, Lazarus, come forth? Because if he had said, come forth, everybody would have got out of the grave. It's Jesus, right? Everybody would have got out of the grave. I hope, I believe that. So he says, Lazarus, because he didn't need all those other people. Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out of the grave. And what was dead is now alive again. What was in a dark, dead corner is now out of the corner. And that's what we're saying here. Do you want to get out of that corner? Yes. Jesus may ask you to do something that's not logical in your own humanity. But if it's not violating Scripture, and if the right spiritual leaders are with you, you ought to do it. Because it's going to lead you out of your situation. And it's going to take you where He wants you to go. Amen? Amen. Will you stand with me? You're going to be glad to know that I decided not to take the whole two hours. I want to close with an illustration. A thought and, and something that I believe that we can see in Scripture is that for us to break out, oftentimes there has to be a break in. For us to really get out of that corner, there has to be a break in. You know, here's 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 uh, Gideon, and he's working this he's he's working this threshing machine. He's doing his thing, and he's in this corner. He would have never broke out. He would have never started on a journey that would have broke out all the children of Israel from a corner if God didn't break in with an angel. And for you and I, that is a truth. We're not going to get out of that corner, engage in the things God wants us to engage in if there's not a God who's breaking into our life. I'll give you an illustration, okay? Can we turn the lights off? Can anybody help me with turning the lights off? So here you are. I've got this, this glow stick, I think it's called. Glow stick. i got a glow stick here. Uh-oh. Turn the lights off. I may have already violated my illustration. Give me a dead glow stick. Sorry, that one came to life while I was preaching. That's got to be good, right? So here we got this glow stick, right? This is a good one because it's dead. You may not have seen anybody bring back a dead person, but you're going to see me bring back a dead glow stick. Here's this glow stick. This glow stick's got the potential to pierce the darkness in this room right now. Just like you. We live in a dark world. And we have the potential within us to pierce the darkness that we live in and bring change. But before this wonderful, majestic glow stick pierces darkness, what has to happen? There has to be a break. There's a break, right? Now, what do we have here? We have two, forgive me, I'm not an engineer. We have two tubes or capsules, and each one have a fluid or liquid in them. 
And when there's a break that happens, the liquids, from what I understand, contact one another and perhaps there's a reaction that occurs. They create some brilliant light. Hope that was right. If it wasn't, please don't tell anybody. And you get light. Right? And it's the same with you and I. We are full of brilliant light. But if if we don't allow God to, to break in and create something inside of us, we're never going to shine. We're never going to pierce the darkness of Portland, Oregon and make a significant difference if we don't regularly let Jesus break in and do something in our life. And so here's what happens. You and I in our humanity, Jesus breaks in and there is a contact moment where the God of all creation comes in contact with who we are and there's this reaction that occurs and suddenly light is beaming and illuminating from you and I and now we're making a difference in the dark world that we live in and we're not just something with no value in a corner anymore and it all begins and changes when something breaks inside of us through the spirit of the Lord. Now we know that. We most of us know that. But here's what we do sometimes. We don't shine as brightly as we could because we only let Jesus break into certain areas. This glow stick's lighting up pretty good. But I think there's still some areas that I could light up if I would break them. I think. And you and I can be the same way. We can go to services like this. We go to church. We go to convention. And we give God a little bit of space in our life. And He breaks a small area of our life. And there's a little bit of light. And we think all is well. But we are never reaching our full potential until every part of us is broken and illuminating light. We won't fully pierce the darkness that's in our life and in the world until we let God break every piece of who we are as human beings. And when that happens, we shine brightly as Jesus begins to illuminate from our humanity. But we've got to turn over all of who we are to Jesus if He's going to do everything that He wants to do in our life. You can turn the lights back on. That's the truth of the matter. So what am I saying? I think if we want to break free from corners and we want to live a truly liberated life where we are making a significant difference, we got to stop holding back. And we got to say, God, I give you access to every part of me. You can break it. You can bend it. You can crunch it until there is brilliant light shining forth from all of my humanity. And when that happens, we don't live in corners anymore. Now we walk a prevailing life because God has all of us, not just a piece of find a place on your knees and say, Jesus, break in. Get inside of me and crack myself, my being, my presence.
pride, my flesh, my humanity. You come in and you mess up this house because when you're done, I want to brightly shine and I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to pierce some darkness tonight and it's going to be the start, not the finish. Let's begin to pray for a minute right now in the name of Jesus. God, we lay ourselves at your feet. We hear your word tonight. We want to be broken, Jesus. We need you to break in tonight, God. I give you full access to every part of me that I might be a brilliant light. You come and you break this vessel that the light might shine tonight. If that's your desire, why don't you find a place to pray tonight? If you're tired of your corner, why don't you let Jesus break in and start something he will finish tonight?
Thank you so much for coming. Have a good night.